Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the American Coin-Op podcast, Coming Back from a Crisis. I'm your host, Bruce Beggs. When circumstances beyond your control get your laundry business down, how do you bring it back? Joining me to discuss our topic today is Helio Fred Garcia, president of the crisis management firm Logos Consulting Group and executive director of the Logos Institute for Crisis Management and Executive Leadership. Based in New York, Fred has 40 years of experience working with clients around the world. His book, The Agony of Decision, Mental Readiness, and Leadership in a Crisis, was named one of the best crisis management books of all time by leading nonfiction recommendation site Book Authority. Hi, Fred. Thank you for being my guest this month on the American Coin-Op podcast. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Let's just get into it. The basics. A crisis has befallen a self-service laundry. What are the first steps a store owner should take in response? The starting point is to recognize that crises follow predictable patterns. And one of those patterns is that most loss of trust, most loss of reputation, and most harm to the enterprise in the aftermath of something bad happening is self-inflicted harm. And that is the leaders of organizations, in this case, the owners of these facilities, will make choices and execute those choices impulsively. And so the premium is to make choices based on what it takes to keep the trust of those who matter. In this case, it's mostly the customers. To the degree they have employees, it's also the employees, but but mostly it's the customers. And here's the central question. Trust is based on expectations that are met. And so anytime a crisis befalls an organization, the first question to ask is, what is it that reasonable people among those who matter to us would appropriately expect a responsible operator of one of these facilities to do? And the answer to that question becomes the guide to action. Now you can answer that question at a very granular level, they'd expect us to do X, Y, and Z. But the bigger answer to that is in every crisis, every stakeholder expects the people in charge to care. So so the advice I give to my clients all the time is what does it look like to care? If there was a fire in a facility, what does it look like to care? If there was a robbery in a facility, what does it look like to care? If there was an assault or a sexual incident in a facility, what does it look like to care? And the more we can shape our response on showing those who matter to us that we care about them, that we take seriously the need to protect them or to restore whatever was lost of theirs, that's when we get through the crisis well. It's when we try to hide, when we try to blame, when we try to misdirect, that things go sideways. So the discipline is to think about those who matter to you and ask what would reasonable people appropriately expect a responsible operator like me to do when this has happened in my store. What role does communications play in a business's ability to navigate and survive a crisis event? There's a tendency in some circles to think that communication is enough, and it's not. 
though, but it is essentially important. So the way I describe it is to think less about crisis communication as a standalone, but to think of crisis response, which is a sequenced combination of the things that we do plus the things that we say. And if we start by thinking through the things we have to do, then much of the things we have to say is to point to the things that we're doing. Mm. But the other things that communication can do is it can show we care even before we've done all of the things or even figured out how to do all of the things we're going to do. So I advise uh, my clients to be ready with what I call a five-step standby statement that they can develop in advance and populate just by filling in the blanks. And when, when they communicate, whether it's with customers or with others, using these five steps, the result is trust tends to remain. So here are the five steps. To first acknowledge what happened. There was a fire at the facility. Name the problem without euphemism. The second step is to express empathy. Our hearts go out to those who are injured in the fire. The third is to declare our values. Our first concern is the safety of our customers. The fourth is to describe the approach we're taking. We're working with the fire department to figure out the source. We are working with the first responders on the scene to secure the site. We will be working with our customers to let them know when they can come back into the facility. Describe the approach you plan to take and any specific things you've done so far. And then the fifth step is to make a commitment because trust is the fulfillment of expectations. When you make a commitment, you're setting yourself up to fill that expectation. It could be a procedural commitment. We'll let you know when we know more, right. or it can be a substantive commitment. We'll get to the bottom of this and we'll fix it. But if we say those five categories of thing early in the crisis and then update by pointing to the things we're doing, then we're far more likely to stay in good relationship with those who matter to us. Uh, you kind of referenced this a moment ago, but uh, a dryer fire, um, you know, any number of things can happen at a self-service laundry. A dryer fire, they could lose power, they could lose water, arm robbery, any number of things are, are the potential crises that could strike a laundromat. Should there be different procedures for addressing each scenario that I've just described, or is it best to have a generalized plan that can be applied to any situation? There are specificities that make a fire different from an electrical outage, because in one, there's likely loss of property and perhaps injury or worse, death. In the other, there's inconvenience. So you calibrate the response to the actual circumstance, but the approach becomes a common approach. Here's, here's one of the ways to think about this. It isn't the severity of the event that determines whether the organization comes through maintaining the trust of those who matter to it. It's what we're seen to do in the aftermath of the event. And if it's an electrical fire, I'm sorry, if it's an electrical outage, well, it's gonna inconvenience people for a while. You can still use that five-step process, you're just using different content within that five-step process. Mm -hmm. If it is uh, an armed robbery, then the approach would be, the, the structure would be the same, but the content would be different. To the degree that the crisis suggests 
a risk to people that hadn't been fully appreciated before, one of the things that reasonable people would appropriately expect is, what are you going to do to prevent this from happening again? Mm-hmm. So right. if there was an armed robbery, what would you do to prevent another armed robbery? Are you going to have brighter lights? Are you going to have visible uh, CCTV cameras? Are you going to have someone in some kind of security uniform standing at the front? So what are the ways that you can operationally make it less likely that something like that will happen in the future? What's the best way for a laundry owner to involve his or her team in crisis response? In a crisis, it's critically important to have real clarity of role, who does what, and then accountability for those roles, Mm, and real clarity of process. How do we do it? And then accountability for that process. So one of the things that the owner can do to involve the team is first to have a common understanding of the approach we're likely to take if there should be a crisis, to the degree they adopt this five-step standby statement approach to educate the team on how to use it, but then to assign roles. Your job is to make sure that everybody is safe. Your job is to work with the police or the fire department. Your job is to take an inventory of all the things that we had to leave when we evacuated the facility, but have clearly defined roles for the team members. And and that way you don't have to make it up under stress. One of the things we find is we make bad choices under stress. So we make as many choices as we can before the crisis. And that way, when the crisis comes, we have real clarity of what we have to do. We don't panic. We can't talk about crisis management without mentioning uh, the coronavirus pandemic that our country has been living with for better than a year. What can you say about the laundry-related businesses that have managed to remain operational in these trying times? Those businesses provide an essential service for meaningful parts of the population. And it's admirable that they were able to stay in service to the communities during such difficult times. One of the things we found in the evolution of expectations in COVID is there were varying expectations over time and varying expectations over geographies about whether you must wear a mask, you may wear a mask, you mustn't wear a mask. whether you must social distance or you shouldn't social distance, there still isn't an all of government approach. There's a fragments of government approach and the laws in one state will be different from the laws in other states. And the social expectations may be different in different states. It's critically important as we get back, as more and more people get vaccinated, as more and more therapeutics keep people alive who come down with the illness, it will be critically important to constantly evaluate what it means to care in a COVID environment. So this requires real diligence on the part of the owners to stay current with what the expectations are in their communities. Can you talk about the importance of good morale and keeping spirits high in the wake of disaster, particularly one whose effects are felt for a long time? One of the attributes of leadership is to have this strange balance. And that balance is candor about the nature of the problem, but also 
resolute focus on moving our people through it. And that's an odd combination. One of, one of the ways that I've seen this best articulated is with the late CEO of General Electric, Jack Welsh. <clears throat> and he described the leadership temperament that gets us through a crisis well. He described it this way. The leader needs a forthright, calm, fierce boldness. And, and if you think about that, forthright, this is what happened. We can't sugarcoat it. Right. Calm, this is difficult, but we're going to get through this together. Fierce, we will do what is necessary to get us through this. Bold, let's do this here. Let's do this now. And people rally around leaders who exhibit that. That, that odd balance of candor and fortitude is the temperament cocktail that best works to get an organization and its people through the crisis. Aren't there times when a crisis can actually create new opportunities for a business? One of the things I find really interesting about the word crisis is the English word crisis comes from an old Greek word that meant choice. So I define crisis management as the management of the choices you make in the crisis. The Chinese word for crisis is a combination of danger with opportunity. And the Japanese word for crisis, pronounced differently, is a combination of danger with opportunity. And so I define crisis by blending both of those languages together, the Greek and the Chinese, or the Greek and the Japanese. Right. And it's a crisis is the moment where you simultaneously face danger and opportunity. And if you make smart choices, you can get through the crisis stronger. You can get through the crisis better. Let me give you an example that your listeners would all recognize. U.S. Airways was a struggling airline. And then one day, Chesley Sullenberger found himself in command of an aircraft that had lost all power when it flew through a flock of geese. It was at 3,000 feet over New York City, and it was a matter of just 200 seconds before that plane would make contact with the Earth. Nobody wants to land an airplane in a river. The alternatives were worse. He chose instead to land in the river. He did it with such artfulness that not a single person died. He became the hero, but U.S. Airways stock went up. 15% the next day. Everyone thought, wow, U.S. Airways is a better airline than I imagined. And the reputation of U.S. Airways and of its pilots soared because of the acts of one pilot who handled the crisis well. I give that example because it's big and we all can recognize that crisis. But even at the smaller crisis level, we see there's an opportunity to be better at the end of this than we were at the beginning of this. Finally, we have an opportunity to swap out our old equipment and bring in new equipment. We didn't want the fire, but let's take this as the opportunity to get better. In what areas is a small business most likely to falter when it comes to crisis management? There are two basic risks, in my view, to small businesses that is different from big businesses. In the small business, any given employee does many more things than any given employee in a big business. <laughs> Absolutely. And the owner has far more involvement in 
disparate parts of the business than say the CEO of a giant corporation. So one of the challenges is there's so many things to do in the crisis in addition to just running the business that you quickly run out of bandwidth, you run out of manpower. The other is, and I say this as a small business owner, small business owners tend to rely on their own judgment mm -hmm. and they end yeah. up making choices based on personal preference rather than on asking about the stakeholders who matter to them and asking what would reasonable people appropriately expect. So whether it's, whether it's a small business owner or the head of a large company, the discipline is to have clarity before the crisis on what are the criteria on which we will make decisions. And again, it's about the end result being maintaining the trust of those who matter to us. What can a laundry owner learn about themselves and their small business after coming back from a crisis? One of the things I often find for those who've made it through the crisis is I never thought I'd be able to get through one of those things, but I did and I'm okay. Or I did and my business is okay. And there's a sense not only of relief, but also a sense of accomplishment yeah. that I was able to protect the thing that I poured my heart and soul into. And we can get through crises. Just because something bad happens doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad manager or a bad owner. We can get through the crisis when we take care of the needs of those who matter to us. They remain loyal to us, whether it's our employees or our customers. And when we are in recovery, they have an interest in keeping us going. And, and that, I think, is one of the ways we can begin to think about the crisis is we will, we can survive them. We just need to be deeply intentional about the ways we do it and we'll end up in a better place. Helio Fred Garcia is president of the crisis management firm Logos Consulting Group based in New York City. Thank you for being my guest today on the American Coin Op Podcast. Thank you very much. The American Coin Op Podcast is a production of American Trade Magazine's LLC Chicago. Music's written by Nazar Ryback and provided by Hook Sounds. Our podcasts are available free at our website, AmericanCoinOp.com, and you can consult The Wire, our weekly e-newsletter, to learn about future episodes. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter to stay informed about the podcasts, along with news and information from around the industry. For the American Coin Op Podcast, this is Bruce Beggs saying your cycle is up. <laughs>